What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fifth Down Fantasy Podcast, and we are talking about the biggest bust in fantasy football this year. We are talking about guys that we do not like at their price point. Doesn't mean we hate them in fantasy football or we hate the players or we hate their teams. Just means we hate them at where they are going in fantasy football drafts today. We have different players at each position. We have players at the worst value in all of fantasy football, our biggest bust. And then at the end, we are debuting a new segment called Stat of the Week, which is our favorite fantasy football stat that we have found for that given week that we want to share with the people. So make sure to stay tuned for that. But Ben, we'll start with you today. Who is your first bust player that you will not be drafting in fantasy football this year? This truly wouldn't be the bust show if I wasn't talking about my biggest off-season fade. I've been fading Devontae Adams since what, Alex? Like maybe February? He's being, it's been a long time. Adams is being drafted because of his elite ability to create separation. Last year, his average depth of target around 10 and a half yards is in line with his ADOT over the last five seasons. But Emmanuel Sanders in 2019 is Jimmy Garoppolo's only wide receiver with 30 or more receptions and an average depth of target of nine and a half or more. And Sanders only finished with 500 yards that season. Last year, among 32 starting quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo threw the second fewest passes of nine air yards or more per game, only ahead of Jacoby Brissett, and his uh, completion rate was a measly 49%. To those of you who say that Adams is quarterback proof because of what he did with Jarrett Stidham, Stidham's average depth of target was nearly two full yards more than Garoppolo's last year. And you might say, well, sure, Adams elevated Stidham's game, but on those 21 dropbacks where Adams wasn't on the field, Stidham still had an average depth of target longer than Jimmy Garoppolo's last season. Wow, that's that's really anything to fade, fading Devontae Adams is crazy considering his track record over the last couple of years. He has shown no drop off whatsoever. But like at this point, given the fact that you don't draft, like you're not drafting him right now, like what's the lowest that you see him finishing if he plays a full season? Like if everything he plays 17 games, like where's the worst place that Devontae Adams finishes? I mean, listen, he's still an incredible elite wide receiver asset, but he's not quarterback proof. I do not have him ranked as a wide receiver one. I think he'll finish the year as a wide receiver two. Wow, which is a big jump. Big, it's a big downgrade from Devontae Adams. My guy that I'm definitely fading is DeAndre Hopkins. The biggest problem is that the Titans are bottom seven in pass attempts every single year under Mike Vrabel. That has not changed no matter what their personnel was. And since 2013, only eight out of 120 top 12 wide receivers have come from this team's. DeAndre Hopkins is also over 30 years old. He's playing on a new team with a two of the new quarterback and at a wide receiver 21 price. Just too much has to go right. When these low volume receivers never produce in fantasy football, new team, new coach, 30 years old. I just cannot get with it on DeAndre Hopkins. I can get with it on DeAndre Hopkins, but I'm not because I'm with it on Traylon Burks. I really do think that he could be the breakout player in this offense. We've kind of seen old wide receivers' careers die in Tennessee, which is another one of the reasons why I'm with you, Alex. You know, how many uh, wide receivers have we seen most recently? Julio Jones go to Tennessee and just disappear. Are you in at all on Traylon? I've been, I've been his number one believer on this show. What about you, Alex? No, I do not do not believe in him whatsoever. I, I just can't see it happening with Traylon Burks, especially when he's going to be the second or third option. Maybe it's a Chickaconqua type offense. But even with Derrick Henry and DeAndre Hopkins, Traylon Burks at best, the third option in a low-volume offense at this point. And I just don't think that it's going to be as productive as we would like it to be for Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks has got the talent, just not the situation that's going to favor him. 
So then are there any Titans? Are you interested in Derrick Henry? Are there any Titans that you're interested in? It's really just Derek, Derek Henry. I like Chigakonkwo because of his efficiency numbers, but again, the volume is probably going to keep me away. I don't mind where he's going right now. Um, buying him because of the upside, but I think Derek Henry is the only player from this offense outside of Ryan Tannehill that I'll be getting some shares of. Yeah, and Derrick Henry is a very safe running back. If you want to grab him in the first round, he's not our next bust on this list, but another running back who you might be surprised to hear that I think is going to bust, Jonathan Taylor in 2021. Wow. Jonathan Taylor, he had a prolific elite fantasy football season because of his 18 rushing touchdowns. But if you subtract touchdowns from every single 2021 running back, Jonathan Taylor would have only been the RB3. He was elite, but he was lifted to that RB1 status because of that touchdown upside. This was the team that had the second most rushes behind just the Titans. So again, Derrick Henry would have been the RB1 in this hypothetical situation. In 2022, the Colts running backs ran the ball three times fewer per game than they did in 2021 and that three rushes is notable because now no longer are they in the top 10 they trailed more in 2022 they passed more in 2022 their neutral pass rate over expectation was higher in 2022 so Jonathan Taylor is going to be on an offense that probably rushes more than they did last season but it's with a mobile quarterback who is a big question mark they're probably going to trail more so there's going to be less design running back rushes for Jonathan Taylor and I just don't expect him to have either the attempts or touchdowns like he had in 2021, which makes that RB5 price tag way too high when you can get the RB10 two full rounds later. Yeah, completely. Where with Jonathan Taylor specifically, we've heard some reports that maybe Anthony Richardson does not start week one and maybe Gardner Minshew takes over for the first, you know, five or six weeks or so for the season. So how much better do you think Jonathan Taylor will be with Gardner Minshew, who is not as much of a mobile quarterback? Like, how do you how do you look at Jonathan Taylor with one quarterback versus the other and how much value he'll gain or lose? I, I really don't know that I can make a prediction on which quarterback is going to be best for him. Realistically, yeah. I would like to think that Gardner Minshew has shown that he's capable of uh, being the quarterback of a high caliber offense. But you also take a look at where Jonathan Taylor is being drafted in the first round. You don't want an RB10, RB11, RB12 production from your first round pick. You want to get a guy who's going to be a top five running back. And for me, when I can grab Joe Mixon way later, and there are other sleepers that I love, I'm not taking the risk on taking Jonathan Taylor in the first round when we don't even know who the week one quarterback is going to be and if they will be good for his game. So if you're in the third round of fantasy football drafts right now, it's either Joe Mixon or Jonathan Taylor. Who are you taking? Uh, I mean, I think your first round picks got to be really safe. If I'm in the third round and it's Jonathan Taylor, give me Jonathan Taylor all day. But, you know, in the first round, you in the first round. Okay, got it. That makes sense. For the other yeah, guy from I'm dating, that's going in the fourth round sometimes in drafts, which is just blasphemous to me, is none other than Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders last year finished dead last among qualifying running backs in rushing yards gained after contact the last two years. He was also dead last in yards per target, which is not good for a guy that they think are gonna all of a sudden magically catch a ton of passes for the Panthers. I know that. He had, you know, 50 catches in a in an offense before, but this is just not the same offense that he was in. And I think that this offense is where he's going to really struggle, especially because I noted he's not good in yards after contact. And last year he was playing with the number one offensive line in the NFL and the Eagles. So now he's playing with a worse offensive line. He is playing with a worse quarterback than Jalen Hurts in Bryce Young, who is going to be going through his rookie growing pains. To me, Miles Sanders is like the perfect dead zone running back that is really going to kill you in fantasy drafts where the opportunity looks like it's there, 
but because of the situation around him is going to make him crumble from a fantasy football production perspective. I really wanted to love Miles Sanders this year. And I think that I'm going to have a hard time doing that for the reasons that you just said. But the thing that I keep coming back to was he was on the Eagles last year, who are one of the rush heaviest teams in the entire NFL. But you take a look at one of these advanced analytics uh, pass rate over expected. And the Panthers actually passed the ball or rather they rushed the ball uh, about 9% more than you would expect. I am kind of thinking to myself, there's a world where Miles Sanders has more rushes than he had last year, just wow. because maybe they're going to give him the ball because they're not really a prolific, a prolific offense behind Bryce Young. And they just want to get the ball to some other guys, make Bryce feel comfortable in his first NFL season. And even if he does have more carries than he has last year, is he still going to be a good running back? What do you think about that? Yeah, I just don't think he's going to be a good running back. Like, even if he sees more volume, it's just not going to be productive. He's not playing with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and Jalen Hurts, who are all opening up the offense for him. He's playing with Bryce Young and Adam Thielen and DJ Shark and a worse offensive line. That's not going to help. And, and also, also, with, like, the Eagles last year, I mean, they were up in so many games. They were constantly in positive game scripts. Panthers are just not going to see the same amount of that. And it's going to hurt Miles Sanders a little bit for this year. Who's the next guy that that you really just cannot get on board with at this point? I do not understand why we are still drafting Debo Samuel as the wide receiver one on San Francisco when his role was replaced last season by Christian McCaffrey. In his 2021 wide receiver one season, 30% of Debo's fantasy football points came on the ground. And after San Francisco signed Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel saw 28% fewer carries, not to mention 38 fewer rushing yards per game. And where volume is so key, and Debo needs those touches to bolster his value. I don't see it. Debo became less versatile once CMC joined the team because Debo's really only backfield role was when he was being used as a receiver out of the backfield. And because of that, his efficiency dropped. His average depth of target was three and a half yards versus 7.3 in the 29 games prior to Christian McCaffrey being signed. And he had 40% fewer receiving yards per game because of that. Not to mention that Brandon Ayuk took the step forward to become the wide receiver one in this offense. He had two more targets per game and 20 more receiving yards per game from when prior to CMC being signed. And in this offense where Ayuk is the wide receiver one and CMC is the RB1, Debo Samuel is going to struggle to produce as a top option in this offense. Especially when they have a you know a top five tight end and George Kittle on top of that. Yeah. The other thing that people don't realize enough is I know, you know, health, you know, concerning for Debo Samuel, but last year, Played 13 games. He finished in the top 20 wide receivers in just three of those 13 games. I don't get why he's going as the wide receiver 18 right now. But one of the arguments that people are going to give, and I want you to speak to this, Ben, for, for some of the people in the comments that are not going to be happy about it, they're going to say, well, Brandon Ayuk is there. George Kittle's there. Christian McCaffrey's there. So they're all going to open up the field for Debo. And he's going to see the easiest looks of his career, you know, with some of these other guys taking attention away. Like, what do you say to the people that say that to you? I mean, yeah, they're going to take attention away from Debo Samuel, but also, like I said, his average depth of target last year was 3.7. You're talking about the guy who had the most yards after the catch per reception last year in Debo, but that's just because when you're getting the ball in the backfield, you have this great offensive line. You're getting at least the line of scrimmage. There's some yak for you. Debo is still not really a threat. Like, who are you more afraid of in the backfield, Christian McCaffrey or Debo Samuel? I'm more worried about George Kittle getting wide open downfield. I'm more worried about Brandon Ayuk scoring touchdowns after touchdown after touchdown so i'm not going to worry about you know debo samuel out of the backfield when i know that i can just stop him 
right around the line to gain. Yeah, again, again, the wide receiver 18 is just a little bit too rich for Debo Samuel in this offense that the pie for Debo Samuel with all these other guys that are hungry for, for volume and touches is not going to be big enough for him. Another guy for me that just has never commanded a big volume of targets ever in his career is Kadarius Toney. Obviously, everyone knows he's hurt and you know his knee is in trouble, but even regardless of where he's going to drop in drafts, I still would not be touching him with a 10-foot pole. I mean, the fact that you know, he's never finished highly in fantasy football, but I think that, you know, five targets is not a lot. I don't think that's a high number of targets for a wide receiver to get. And he has had at least five plus targets and just 31% of his career games. But the other thing that regardless of him, you know, getting a target at a high rate on the field, Ben, he never, ever gets a lot of snaps. He has seen a 70% snap share just one time in 19 career games he has seen a 60% snap share just three times in 19 games. And with half a season with the Chiefs, he hit over 40% of the snaps, one game with 44%. So the point is they're just never playing him. And I think one of the other things that someone pointed out the other day when he got hurt was he got hurt catching a punt. You know, the, the best players in the NFL are not out returning kicks and getting punts because that's where they can get hurt. You know, they're they're right where they need to be running routes and getting the ball at the line of scrimmage or beyond. And Kadarius Tony for me just doesn't ever seem like he's gonna be a full time player. I'm with you. And and when you talk about the injuries, he didn't play a ton of snaps last season because of those injuries. You know, he'd come out and he'd tweak his hamstring. He had that one touchdown celebration where he's holding his hamstring. I thought he was hurt. No, he was just celebrating. Uh, the issue that I have mainly with um, Kadarius Tony is that I'm way more in on Sky Moore, who saw a ton of red zone looks. He has high draft capital. I personally really love Sky Moore. You can listen to me talk about him on last week's episode. But one stat that I did discover this offseason is that when Kadarius Tony was on the field, he had a higher team target share than Travis Kelsey did. That is right. When the two of them were on the field, Kadarius Tony saw more targets than Travis Kelsey. Do you think there's any signal there? Or do you think that's just noise? I think it's just noise that I, I like, I think a year ago I'd have been like, Oh, that's definitely a sign, but we've seen two career years. Like, you know, like his best finish is the wide receiver 89. I know injuries, lack of snaps, all these other things. But when you, when it boils down to it, like he's just a gadget player that sees the ball at a high rate on the field. His highlight reel is awesome. I mean, he is a human highlight reel when he's playing, but he's just not, there's no metrics that really show that he's a great wide receiver outside of seeing a high target rate when he's on the field. And that's awesome. But like, I think that while he's seeing a higher target share than Travis Kelsey, I think like I just pointed out with the snaps, he's never seeing an elite snap share. And I think he would have, if he truly was that guy that deserved to be being targeted, you know, at a high rate game in and game out. Absolutely fair. I've got a player who I think everybody is going to be surprised that I'm fading. It is quarterback Lamar Jackson. There is no way. He is living up to his quarterback for ADP. And I'm all aboard the Todd Monken train. Lamar Jackson said that he expects to be passing more and running less under his new offensive coordinator. And that's good for Ravens players, except for Lamar Jackson, when you consider that only two players have ever finished top 12 at their position with Lamar Jackson. That would be Mark Andrews and Mark Ingram. And I'm not going to be the fantasy football analyst who says that Lamar can't pass. He can. He's a talented quarterback. But his ceiling in 2019, the greatest quarterback fantasy football season of all time defenses feared what Lamar did on the ground so if he's gonna be running less you know that 
run game led to his career high 7.8 yards per pass attempt. But even in 2019, that ranked outside of the uh, top 12 quarterbacks for that season. So if he's rushing less, his yards per attempt will drop, and he's going to need a lot more volume uh, passing than he's ever seen to compensate for that loss in the ground game. He's going to need at least 400 attempts, which he's only done once, to have at least 3,000 passing yards. And it's just not a guy I can justify taking in the third round when you consider that. Yeah, and do you think that with Lamar Jackson, is your point more than anything just the fact that with Lamar at this point that he is just not going to see the rushing volume while the passing volume isn't going to increase? Rushing volume is just way more valuable for the quarterback position so that this new style passing attack is actually not going to help him when it sounds like it does. Exactly. I mean, if you are excited because you think Lamar Jackson might look like Jalen Hurts did last year, don't be. Lamar Jackson has never had um, uh, past yards per attempt like Jalen Hurts has had in any of his four seasons uh, for for Lamar. So he needs to have that rushing volume. He needs to be a very efficient passer, which we've just kind of seen. He can be a good passer, but he's never been an efficient one. So I don't like losing those touches on the ground when he will not make that volume up in the air. The person for me that I find myself fading in, in drafts right now, and I don't, again, hate the player. I just hate the cost of him where he's going is Tua. You know, Tua Tungvaluwa just does not do it for me right now, especially when the fact that he's going as the quarterback 10. I think part of my concern comes out of the fact that while his, the best wide receiver due in the league is, you know, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, there's no like third option in that offense. I don't think that Chosen Anderson or Cedric Wilson or Braxton Berrios is going to be that guy. They lost Mike Gusecki, and now they're going to be starting Durham Smythe at tight end. And then on top of that, Tua Tungavailoa has dropped his rushing yards per game every year. He had just five rushing yards per game. There's obviously the concussion concerns. I also don't really know how much I believe in their run game. And there's guys going later like Kirk Cousins, Geno Smith, and Daniel Jones who all finished as top 10 quarterbacks last year that you can get two rounds later. I don't see much of a difference between Tua compared to someone like Geno Smith or Kirk Cousins that both just added a first-round talent when Tua only lost some of the guys that were around him last year outside of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I couldn't disagree with you more, Alex, on Tua. I think that he is poised for another huge year. Everybody was doubting him last year. He was phenomenal last year. And then the injury concern took over. He never was quite the same. But still, last year, he led the NFL in pass yards per attempt his number was in the top 10 of all quarterbacks since 2002 in the 99th percentile of all quarterback seasons, joining names like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Pat Mahomes, Joe Burrow. The list goes on with elite names that he is next to. I just don't see him regressing enough to be a bust this year when you're grabbing him already as a late quarterback one I think even if he finishes as a top 12 quarterback you can't call him a bust and I think that the upside for him I know that you love the term unlimited upside Alex I think Tua has unlimited upside any thoughts on that yeah I think that's that's completely fair I think that the yards per attempt stats really interesting that he's like among those really great names again I just don't know if outside of Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle I think that they're gonna just have to have some third option emerge somewhere or they're gonna have to sign a veteran or somebody that's gonna help out because i just don't think that those two guys alone are gonna carry to a to a top five fantasy football finish this year maybe they will i think my argument is just that you look at the other top five quarterbacks outside of patrick mahomes you know that everyone else has at least like three really solid weapons or 
really good legs that are getting it done to help them finish at the very top. We can move on from there. I will say that I think when you have an elite talent like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, you maybe don't need anybody else, uh, especially when there might be rumblings about another free agency signing at the running back position. Um, and when it comes to running backs, there's one more that I need to fade. And his name is Damian Pierce. He was the season long running back 29, but that also considers his RB 47 finish from week 10 onwards. Not to mention the Texans just signed the RB 26 from last year in Devin Singletary. And this, you know, volume is key in fantasy football. Damian Pierce is not a pass catcher. He had fewer receptions, fewer targets, fewer receiving yards than Rex Burkhead. And now he's splitting duties with a solid veteran pass catcher who was better last year than Rex Burkhead. This is a guy who split carries and touches with James Cook and still had more receptions per game than Najee Harris. What we have with Pierce is a young running back who fell off as a rusher in the second half of the season. And from weeks 10 to 18, he saw four fewer carries per game, one fewer yard per carry, and 32 fewer yards per game. Despite being on the field for four more snaps per game, his fantasy point production was nearly cut in half, 13 points to seven points. He doesn't fit the archetype as a bell cow. He doesn't fit it as a pass catcher. And I'd rather have Devin Singletary at cost because he's going to eat into Pierce's workload. And you are going to wish that you didn't draft the Damian Pierce. I go back and forth with him a lot where like, I, I want to believe him because he put himself in some pretty good company in terms of like, you know, forcing missed tackles and yards after contact last year. But I think one of the things that was really interesting for Damian Pierce was the fact that like those numbers, like the amount of tackles missed that he forced or his yards after yeah. the contact on a per attempt basis, he was a lot worse than his numbers showed. So he might not have been as efficient as the numbers would have liked to have seen. The other thing that I tweeted the other day was the fact that Last year, in, in terms of PPR, he averaged 17 fantasy points per game when he saw over 20-plus touches, but he had just 8.7 fantasy points per game when he had less than 20 touches. Devin Singletary, 14 career touches per game. Not saying he deserves it, but Devin Singletary has done nothing but command volume, which is going to hurt Damian Pierce a lot more than when Rex Burkhead was the guy, primary guy playing behind him. So I'm with you on uh, Damian Pierce. How low would he have to go for you to take him right now? I don't know. Maybe I would take him as like a very, very late RB2. Um, maybe, a, you know, like a backup option. Probably a backup option is my third back. I just, I like Devin Singletary way lost. I think they'll probably finish neck and neck. Okay. That's, that's completely fair. The guy for me that I'm fading, and I think a lot of people are not going to like this one or appreciate this one, but it's got to be Kyle Pitts for me. Again, just saying talent is all there. Everything points to Kyle Pitts being a really great tight end at some point in his career. It is just not going to be this year. The Falcons last year threw the ball at a bottom five rate in the NFL. And even if they improved that number by 25%, they'd still be in the bottom five in the NFL for pass attempts. And then you add in the fact that Desmond Ritter, who's likely going to be the quarterback for most of the season, if not all of it, led the NFL in off-target throw percentage. And now I think that you know, Kyle Pitts is probably going to be the third option in this offense. I mean, they just drafted, you know, Bijan Robinson, eighth overall for a reason. He's going to see a lot more targets than any other running back that the Falcons did last year. And then on top of that, Drake London is someone that I am a believer in from a talent perspective. He's going to command a lot of targets. So I think for me, Kyle Pitts is likely the third option in a low-volume passing offense that's going as a top-five tight end right now. Again, Kyle, P Kyle Pitts, if Matt Ryan came back this season, I'd be all in on him in the passing volume. 
But the reality is with players like Hopkins and Traylon Burks is these guys are just going to be in super low pass volume offense, which just says history is against them from a fantasy football perspective. But from a actual player perspective, Kyle Pitts to the moon, fantasy football, not so much. Alex, I know you want to introduce this new segment, Stat of the Day. I want to use my Stat of the Day opportunity to tell you something about this Falcons offense that makes yeah. me question. Because you know I like, uh, you know I like this offense. You know that I like Desmond Ritter. Did you know that you've you've cited now this uh, stat a couple of times that uh, Desmond Ritter led the NFL in off per, uh, what was the stat uh, catch like a good a well thrown ball. Catchable passes or off-target throw percentage? Yeah. Off-target throw percentage. Did you also know that the Falcons led the entire NFL in average depth of target? They were throwing the ball deeper oh. than any other team was last year, which is why their balls were probably the least amount of catchable. What if they reel back their average depth of target because now they have a you know, top five tight end, a top maybe a top 20 wide receiver, maybe. He certainly commanded target chair like one, and a top five running back. I like Desmond Ritter this year. I think that if he can put all the pieces together in this offense with those tools, you're sleeping on this offense. But what happens if that average depth of target comes back just a little bit and they can actually get the ball to more of those guys, Alex? Does that change your stance at all on anybody in this offense? It, it, it just – it does because like, I think that's a very valid argument that they're going to. But the problem is, like I said, is like if they increase their pass volume by 25%, which is a ridiculous number, they would still be in the bottom five of the NFL. And similar to what we just talked about with Hopkins, as far as some of these guys go – the targets just are not going to be there for some of these pass catchers in this offense, regardless of how accurate they are. And again, if they magically get to the top half of the league in passing volume, I'm going to look really dumb about Kyle Pitts and Drake London. But again, volume is king at the end of the day, and I think that ultimately we are going to have to fade it. Um, but I think it's time, Ben. Are you, how are, you, are you ready to finally debut our first segment ever in the fifth down fantasy podcast history? I gave the people a tease, and I want to hear you take it home, Alex. Let's hear your stat of the day. Absolutely. So every week, stat of the day. This week's stat of the day, my favorite stat, and probably all of fantasy football land right now, is the fact that both Chris Olave and Christian Watson hit over a 2.25 yards per route run as rookies. There have been seven other wide receivers to hit this stat. Every single one was a top seven wide receiver in fantasy points per game in their second year. It's all names like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, Odell Beckham, A.J. Brown, all guys that are the elite of the elite. I get it. Both these guys changed their quarterback. The other guys didn't. But we talked about this before with other guys that when they put themselves in metrics like this, they would have to be absolute historical outliers. For one, I think Chris Olave is getting an upgrade in Derek Carr. And Jordan Love, I know it's not Aaron Rodgers, but – it is just way too elite company for Christian Watson to be going all the way outside the top 20 wide receivers, which makes him the perfect smash play in fantasy football. Also led the NFL and expected fantasy points per route. I love Chris Olave. We've talked about him a million times on this offense about how the quarterback change and how he is going to be probably the wide receiver one in the offense. We're getting reports now. Michael Thomas is supposed to be healthy. I know we've also talked about Michael Thomas a couple times on the show. I don't think I care if he's healthy. I think that Chris Olave has earned himself the number one spot on this offense. So I'm in 100% Chris Olave. I'm there. Christian Watson, I pause. Everything I like about Christian Watson, Alex, comes from what you have told me. Because every time I see something on Christian Watson, I think to myself, I can't get on board with Jordan Love being as good as Aaron Rodgers was. But if you look at the game that Jordan Love played last year, 
it was actually an upgrade for Christian Watson. And that's the one piece of hope I'm holding on to that maybe, just maybe, that connection was magical. That connection was special. And we're going to see more of that in 2023. Yeah. Again, if you still are not convinced about Christian Watson, go to my Twitter at Alex Caruso, search Christian Watson. I did a Twitter thread on 20 reasons why you should be believing in Christian Watson there. Go way more in deep. But again, that is our stat of the week. Next week, we'll each bring you a stat that we're super excited about that you need to be thinking about for fantasy football, regardless of what the episode is. So make sure to stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for every single episode coming out live on Twitter every single Tuesday at 2 p.m. But until next time, don't forget to keep chasing that upside. Until next time, everybody.